Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Radio Show. You're joined today by myself, Clancy Overall, editor and editor-at-large, Errol Parker. How are you, Errol? Great to be here. Now, today's guest we're interviewing is uh, a bit of an icon of the arts, uh, if you will. Batuta Advocate, uh, we, we interview all kinds of people on this mm-hmm. radio show, uh, sports, sports stars, politicians, artists, graffiti artists. We've even interviewed graffiti artists and um, just general troublemakers. Today's guest is uh, in the world of theatre. An actual film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is an is, absolute titan of the industry, Clancy. His name's Tommy Murphy. He's a Sydney-based Australian playwright, screenwriter, adapter and director. He's behind the play and movie Holding the Man, which you might know if you are a big fan of uh, AFL football. Mark Holland's Kidney was another play he presented. This week, he's in the uh, studio to talk to us about his newest production, which is called Packer and Sons. And, uh, you know, it's there's been a lot of talk of this kind of media dynasty of late. There's been the uh, loudest voice, Russell Crowe playing Roger Ailes, talking about Fox News, that, that, that program. It went off like a hit in Australia particularly. And, of course, Succession on HBO, which kind of uh, delves into the Murdoch family. Packer and Sons, uh, stage production by Tommy Murphy, delves into the family dynamics of, you know, the iconic Packer family, generational wealth, generational influence and and intergenerational pain and trauma so you don't actually hear too many stories about the Packers because obviously there's still quite a legacy there and they have a lot of interest in media and a lot of people don't tell these stories but Tommy's done the research and he's here today to talk to us about Succession 2.0 Packer and Sons You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall Editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Well, welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Radio Show, recording live from Baxter Booth Studios here in downtown Batuta. Uh, this week, Errol and myself, Clancy Overall, have been joined by another iconic rural Australian storyteller. Um, I guess you'd say Queenbian is rapidly becoming outer metropolitan, but you know, when you were there, it was rural. Tommy Murphy, playwright and writer. Director, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Now, you're the second Queenbian resident that we've had on the podcast. In Did you have George Lazenby on? <laughs> no, we no, had. We had um, New South Wales uh, Deputy Premier John uh, Barillara. John Barillara. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's there's a lot of people from Queenbian. Like there's um they, yeah Alan Jones, a race car driver. Is um, he Mark mm. Weber? I know Mark Weber is. He was yeah. my neighbour. But um, and I went to school with. Ballarat's cousin. I mean, yeah. this is yeah. a small town, but you sure the Alan Jones one is true? Think so. Yeah, you want to Google oh, it. Campisi. <laughs> Campisi is definitely yeah. yeah, and George Lazenby, and of course uh, Omar Musa. Uh, was yep. born in Melbourne, lived in uh, Queanbeyan for a little bit. Wow. Okay. Then left. Oh but yeah, I didn't know that one. That's where he learned all that about cars. <laughs> now, tell us, getting into theatre in Queanbeyan, how was that? Was that something that was on offer? For yeah, you? actually it was. Yeah. It was really well supported by okay. the, the local council. And like if you showed enthusiasm about something like that, there was even like an arts officer at the council who just like grabbed me and wanted to help. So we put yeah. on a, we put on like plays and stuff in a little church hall there. And there was this um, retired guy who'd come to, to Queanbeyan who had been a, a cameraman for um, news and stuff and a right. stringer. And um, he was very enthusiastic about it and, and, and helped us. So, yeah, it was, it was probably a good place to, you know, be a kid interested in theatre. 
Yeah, it's an interesting where people can find these things and opportunities are, are kind of everywhere for, for the arts. I mean, if you're looking for them, is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. yeah, and I think if, if you're sort of, you know, most kids are probably into sport, so yeah. uh, you know, there was a few of us who were unusual, and so um, they just encouraged us, yeah. Now, you uh, have made a bit of a name for yourself over the years. Uh, Holding the Man, actually, was a, an adaption you, you put on stage first. But right now, you're in the midst of arguably Australia's very own version of secession. <laughs> Packer and Sons. You, yeah. you were the man who decided to run the ball up and burn those bridges to tell the story <laughs> yeah. of Kerry Packer and because um, just a bit of uh, a bit of backstory for our listeners as as two very prominent playhouses uh, down in, in Sydney there's Belvoir and the STC that's right yeah the STC is the darling of uh, the Packer family or was. Well, they have a they have a theater named, named after, after Roslyn right. don't they yeah. yeah yeah because your shows on at the Belvoir was mm. this a bit of a shot across the bow of STC <laughs> no not at all I also right for that company as well so I hope not <laughs> um, yeah I mean like uh, obviously the Packer family have been very generous to the arts but I think with all philanthropists in the arts they understand what the arts is mm -hmm. so I don't think anybody gives to the arts you know to sort of mm. protection or control of it yep. and I think they give to the arts because they want it to be unbounded yep. so yeah and, and I don't think this play is in any way Mean it's a critical play, mm. but it's not mean spirited, or yeah. not malicious, not malicious. At so, all. so you didn't meet any resistance along the way from some faceless men or women, you know, who came out of the woodwork and said maybe this isn't the best career move. <laughs> not as I mean, look, we had to be obviously, you know, careful. We have to make sure that we're telling the truth, uh, yeah. or that when we're doing the things that you need to do to tell a good story in the theatre, you know, sometimes you have to merge some things, you have to elide time and place a little bit, and you also have to imagine what was said in rooms that you didn't have access to. Yeah. But you can do all of that anchored in research, and, you know, we had to be um, accurate. I don't think we're careful. Uh, I think we, um, but I, th I think that it's uh, uh, truthful. Yeah. Mm. Now, uh, you didn't get, obviously, any phone calls from a cow late at night. Just telling you to drop it, mate. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be able to say if I did. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, you know, there's a lot of lot of uh, chats with lawyers about our script. <laughs> How did you go about compiling all of this, all of this research? Like, you obviously must have read a few biographies. There uh, are a lot of biographies. I mean, there's great, there's great interviews. biographies by Paul Barry, by Bridget Griffin Foley. More recently, mm. uh, the one by Damon Kitney, which arrived pretty late in the process for me, but. Um, I thought was probably the most, well, exposing, accurate uh, portrayal uh, of James that I had come across. Mm -hmm. um, and so it sort of affirmed some of the choices that we were making. But more than, than looking at the published material, we were also, I was interviewing a lot of people, spending a lot of time in, in libraries and trying to, even though I'm a playwright, trying to be journalistic about it, trying mm -hmm. to make every conversation lead to the next conversation. Yep. You know what I found, though, was that people do like to pile on a little bit about the Packers. I mean, sometimes with good reason, but and there are a lot of myths mm -hmm. about the Packers. I think sometimes the Packers are the best, you know, perpetrators of those myths. Yeah. But there are there was a lot of fact-checking I had to do. And there was more than one person I spoke to who I thought had a bit of an agenda against the Packers, even a very credible journalist that I thought, no, that doesn't, um, doesn't sound right to me, you know. Yeah. You might be able to find him on Monday nights on the ABC. 
No, no, not at all. No, Paul Barry was, was uh, very helpful. He was very helpful. Yeah. I spoke to him a few times. No, I'm, I'm indebted to Paul. So where did the spark for this come from? I mean, like, it's, it's, it's a pretty controversial thing to do in the art world is well, to, to go after it. I, I don't know. Some of it's circumstantial for me because I enjoy... I've enjoyed the experience of telling true stories. Mm-hmm. I, I like that, um, you know, combination of something that's got a foot in the camp of documentary or journalism, but then also is a is a um, dramatic retelling of a story. Mm-hmm. So some of my projects have sort of bounced across that, you know, for Holding a Man, Mark Colvin's Kidney, they took true stories. And so this was a natural extension of that. But I also just, I guess I'm interested in ways that we might hold the powerful to account. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting to see how this has been received because Packer and Sons isn't a satire and that's normally what we do with the powerful in Australia. We're so good at you guys know this. Australians are very good at satire. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's sort of what I think our first audiences came into the theatre expecting. Yep. And it's a funny play in mm. parts, but there's something darker going on. Yep. Uh, so we've become better and the actors have become better at navigating that yep. from when it is... It's never absurd, but it is sort of larger than life and funny. But um, then it goes to something probably, well, I think you'd call it almost tragedy. Yeah. Well, there, there was, um, obviously there was the Rupert, and speaking of satire in play, mm. there was the Rupert, uh, the story of the Murdochs. Uh, yeah. So David Williamson's done a play about, about the Murdochs. Yeah. Four um, or so years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and, the, and the Packers were portrayed in that as all, because it was a comedy as like, you know, these heathen kind of yeah. uh, other dynasty that yeah. was kind of, you know, yeah. the the new money. Um, we, what, who, what have you found, the differences between those families? Well, we, we also have the Murdochs yep. uh, as, as the rival kingdom that, that you, cause you have to include yep. that story. Yep. Uh, it's interesting to find out that to Frank Packer, Kerry's father is alleged to have said that Rupert Murdoch is the son he never had. Whew. So there was sort of, there was a, there was a rivalry all yeah. the way along. And interestingly, when both young Packers, James and young Kerry, try to prove their mettle to their fathers it's Rupert Murdoch that they go to. So young Kerry wants to try and sell Dad's Telegraph, and uh, he strikes a deal with Rupert at the Horden Pavilion uh, on the night that he takes him to see a boxing match. It's a real proof of his abilities and his intentions. That was done in the back of the cab, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't do the scene in the back of the car because it was um, too theatrically restrictive. So yeah, yeah. we do it at the Horden Pavilion in a yeah. sort of anteroom. And then, yeah, obviously James, uh, when he has this uh, you know, vision for one tell, it's Rupert that he has to go and, you know, get one out tell. of it from. So I'm guessing one tell to us, and we, we often talk about one tell on, on the podcast, <laughs> is a hilarious moment in Australian, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, private schoolboy adventures. But uh, I'm sure that was pretty dark as well, what you saw happen between, yeah, between as the boys yeah. kind of had their shot at... At coming out of dad's shadows and, and really got bumped back in. That's exactly what they're trying to do. That's exactly yeah. what's at stake for those characters. But I think it's important to remember that one tell at the start is a pretty good idea. Yeah. Mm. I would say a very good idea. Mm. I spoke to this executive. He won't let me name him, but he was very, very helpful. And he described a moment early on when James Packer pulled out a mobile phone. And I reckon this must have been around 1995. That's when when James first invested in OneTel. But he was saying to his dad and, and, his, and, his, and his mates um, that this is the future, that this, this is where it's all going to go. And I think that is a really early, at that stage, mm-hmm. was a pretty um, prophetic idea. And, and particularly at someone who had control of a 
television company mm-hmm. and knowing that advertising, that uh, the a version of the kind of classifieds and that television would eventually be on small screens like that. Kerry was having none of it and, yeah. and nor would he, nor would he's... Uh, and he didn't have to live long enough to see himself be wrong no. about it. No, no. Like he also actively resisted it. You yeah. know, he really yeah. resisted that new media stuff. Yeah. And 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 that's that's the uh, the sort of the heart of the, the drama, or at least the second act of Packer and Sons, mm-hmm. is that James is trying to bring the family uh, enterprise into this new era and his father is, is refusing it to be true and I guess also in a kind of theatrical idea is refusing to die. Do you reckon the story that, you know, obviously gets bandied around when, um, you know, when you, when you kind of hear about that era of Channel 9 and how it was a family company and there was Richie Benno and there was all these people that were all good friends and there was World Series cricket and then there was the bin fire that was the Super League and they had all of these things. And, and, it, and it often, um, the stories that have been recounted, it just shows these Packers just being so hard on the next generation, so cold. Do you reckon there was a lot of daddy issues, a lot of kind of damaged goods in each generation? Yeah, that's that's really the idea of this play, yeah. actually, that it's a, a way not only to tell a story about uh, business, but also about a, an intergenerational brutality, even an intergenerational trauma, I think. Yeah. you know, So Frank Packer was an extremely tough father. He must have thought that it was love, yeah. but to be calling his sons fatty and dumb-dumb, yeah. to be punishing them and making them compete with each other. He did things also, that, which I think is sort of perverse. He, he I spoke to... Um, uh, Francis Packer, who is uh, Clyde Packer's uh, son, so yep. he's James's um, uh, cousin, cousin yeah. and would have been heir. heir. Apparent, yeah, yeah, he would have been heir. That, but but that Clyde had a falling out with with uh, Sir Frank, and and he he described to me this sort of perverse fathering that uh, Sir Frank had, where he knew what the boys were good at. He knew that um, yeah, that. Clyde had had an inclination for magazines yeah. and was more intellectual, and he knew that Kerry, who was dyslexic, didn't didn't like that side of the business and had a, had an instinct for television. Yeah. But he made Kerry go into Clio. He made Clyde take be the man, co-managing director of Channel Nine to make them work for it against yeah. against what they were naturally, um, you know. And, and you see those type of manoeuvres from yeah. Kerry towards James as well. Were there any any particular horror stories, or not horror stories, you might even have them in, from boyhood? You know, you hear these stories about being put on a bus. And- yeah, we refer to that one, that, yeah. that legendary yeah. so one. So what, what happened there, and what generation was that? So that's Kerry was sent back to Geelong from Sydney when he forgot a tennis racket, yeah. and he was made to travel all of that way to teach the boy a lesson. I've also uh, heard um, another one about James. Yeah, it's what's when, that one? Um, when he was at school, uh, his coach told him to put the pads on the rugby post and uh, he walked back over to the Rolls-Royce and he knocked on the window and he got the driver to do it. Oh, I haven't heard that one. And when, uh, and when Kerry discovered that, you know, right. that was... Uh, he had hell to pay for that, apparently. Really? No, yeah. I hadn't heard that story. Right. The, the famous one that many people have told, it's in one of Paul Barry's books, but many people have told the story of <laughs> um, of James being made to face a cricket ball yeah. machine, which was a modified baseball pitching machine at, you know, in sort of impossible speeds. And, uh, yeah, high stakes way to, to teach your son how to... Yeah. The boy needs up. to learn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can tell um, that... What did you kind of... Um, found did you find yourself because you know a lot of people are going to be listening to this now and thinking you know oh poor little rich boys you know what i mean yeah H- how do you stop yourself from overly humanizing these elite 
elite one percent Australians. <laughs> My job is to humanise them, yeah. and, and that's what we do. And I've had, I've had some people sort of, you know, say to me, "How dare you? You've made me, you made me feel for the packets, you know, because it's a, and it's a complex sympathy. But this is a story of a suffering. But within that. You know what is the goal, and the goal is is greed. Yeah. So I hope that the audience maybe do locate themselves uh, in this story and mm-hmm. and recognise their own their own greed or mm-hmm. envy, and the way that money might uh, dominate or myself as well, like might dominate our thoughts too much. Yeah. But at the end of the day, this is the story of humans, yeah. and and hopefully there's a universal story to extract from it about uh, a craving uh, for love and also the damaging way that we train. Our next generation, particularly boys, what mm-hmm. we tell them is necessary to be men. Yeah, um, you know, which uh, I think is, uh, is is brutal. Yeah, there's an element as well with this with this particular family, which I suppose makes them so iconic. In that same kind of Bob Hawke esque way, despite all their experiences and their education, or their you know, uh, they never really sounded too different to the everyday Australian. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I yeah. find that so interesting. They were always the richest people yeah. in the country for, for for generations. Yeah, and imagine the difference, say, in the UK, yeah. Yeah. if you had you know, that's, this is four generations of huge wealth yeah. going back to RC Packer at the you know at the beginning of, of last century, and they just sound like new money kind they, of. Mining barons, really. They, well, yeah. they just sound like someone not that different to yeah. someone out west. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's why class is, is so elusive. It's so difficult for us to examine class in Australia yeah. for that reason. It escapes Yeah, because us. that would be old money. The Generationally, I mean, Four from generations. Tasmania to Melbourne to, yeah. to Sydney. Yeah. Um, and, and not only money, influence. I yeah. mean, like, really, uh, influence that's been held its sway particularly over in this New South Wales but also nat- nationally yeah. since at least the 1920s yeah now that's the real power real mm. you know and we've interviewed uh, Mark Burris on here before and he's oh, yeah. kind of the quintessential example of someone that came from the western suburbs and made his money and got out of yeah. punch bowl and mm. and he says he's never have really experienced that you know you get a seat at the table eventually if you're worth enough or you've mm. you know you can uh, a blokey bloke, and you're going to be, you know, a part, a certain model of bloke. Mm. But he he never had that trouble. He said maybe in Melbourne you'd, you'd see it a little bit more, of the, you know, behind the hedges, a mm. kind of aristocratic culture. Mm. But it is changing in Sydney a bit too, um, and 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 in Brisbane too. You know, you get people like Malcolm Turnbull who sound different. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that's mm. and do you think that has had an effect on the family now, where they kind of you can't get away with the cowboy stuff anymore? Oh, I don't know, because I think there is both, there is still a real fondness for the Packer family, and um, I think they are still really held in a special regard because of their their character, and also for what they have done to sort of shape the nation's character, Mm -hmm. the way that we're entertained, the way that we've, um, you know, and and a fondness that we have for a kind of golden age that we see as uh, Australia at its best. It's interesting talking about this idea of blokiness as well, because that really is a, is a subject of the play. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could have a, a, a more supreme alpha male mm-hmm. than Kerry Packer, and and that's kind of what we wanted to put on stage and make that its most sort of grotesque. You know, as a kid growing up in the eighties and nineties, those you know remember those rubbery figures? I, I I kind of in a way in my mind the rubbery figures kind of merged with the real people and so mm-hmm. looking at Kerry Packer as a kid he's kind of like one of those rubbery figures just so grotesque yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and alpha male in the sense that um, also quite pathological 
Yeah. He knew, he knew when to put his feet on the table. He knew yeah, when to cough at you. He knew. Everything is an expression of power. Yeah. All of that. You know, and the way yeah. that people describe what his office looked like, that, he's, that he, his chair was effectively this throne, that where he sat was elevated, that he would sort of starve his, uh, the people that he was in a meeting with and eat in front of them, that there was a, a, a painting of charging elephants and a lion behind his desk. You know, I mean, these are big, <laughs> not subtle, really, no. you know. Um, and you can't really teach that. Like, <laughs> you like, need an instinct like, for it, like, don't you? You don't learn yeah. that in no. an MBA course or something. No, no, no. You learn it being Sir Frank Packer's son. Yeah, and right. that heart of Sir Frank keeps on beating in yeah. Kerry. I spoke to this executive who described this incredible moment where a very high-ranking executive was sort of being mauled by Kerry for hours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was there as a sort of audience to this. And at one point, Kerry caught his eye. The other executive couldn't see it. And he just gave a little wink. And he's just enjoying the performance of it. And you know, it's so brutal. <laughs> did, did anyone ever in your records tell him to get fucked? It's interesting speaking to people who, who, who were told. To, yeah, look, there were people that when they took it up to Kerry, when they showed strength back to him, they were respected for that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm thinking of, a, of another executive from another company that was accused of sort of spending Kerry's money badly and got a very alarming phone call from him and just took him to task on the facts Mm -hmm. and earned his respect. And I heard a few stories like that, that if you dared to take him on, he respected that. But when he spot, when he spotted weakness, apparently it was, it was horrific to watch. What do you think, say if Kerry had lived a different lifestyle and, lived as long as Rupert mm. Murdoch did mm. um, without, you know, the burgers and the soft drink and mm. the chain smoking uh, and the sedentary lifestyle. And the yelling. And <laughs> the blood pressure and all that would mm. probably contribute to his early death. Where do you think the empire would be now? Well, I don't think you can get the Packers without that feeling of um, of mortality. Yeah. Um, and that the story that we tell is definitely about their mortality, yeah. that there is a, a ticking clock on being a Packer that they all feel you know rc packer died young his his son frank packer barely outlived him mm-hmm. all of them uh, and because of the health struggles that kerry endured with kind of superhuman strength yeah. mm-hmm. but he was a very sick man from his early 50s really since yeah. you know, that's when the heart attacks began so they always operated with with a awareness yeah. that life is short that's that's part of being a, a bit like up. the Kennedys, you'd say, with the kind of. Get oh it yeah, done that's now. An interesting. It's yeah. interesting, but that that feels more like a, a, a curse, whereas yeah. this feels like yeah. the body letting them down. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> if you're a Kennedy, you're just yeah. going to get shot or die in a plane crash. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> now, can you tell us a little bit more about kind of in the backdrop of you releasing this play? You've seen we've we've seen this uh, a couple programs that kind of delve into Australian. Yeah, well, I guess you'd say things that Australia's given the Western world and given kind of global democracy, which is the Roger Ailes uh, oh, yeah, yeah. documentary, The yeah. Loudest Voice, which kind yeah. of delves a little bit into the Packers, but also media empires. Yeah. And, of course, secession. Yeah. Uh, succession. How have you kind of – do you think there's a, a taste for it? Now, obviously, you, you've just come from a place where you wanted to explore this, but uh, have you timed it in kind of a – Well, there's something in the zeitgeist. We're, yeah. we're looking at entitlement, I think. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're questioning who has 
power yep. and and who hasn't had to previously question their yep. power. So we're asking, we're telling stories about that. And I think also, obviously, media is going through such a, a mammoth uh, reshaping yep. that it's interesting to be looking at, at the old versions of that and, and, and that flux uh, at the moment as well. Uh, but particularly, you know, I think the other interesting thing is is that we're telling stories about reprehensible people at times as well, yeah. that they're not necessarily likable characters. And I find that fascinating as a dramatist. I find people that you don't naturally like, uh, that you might see as other, but be surprised to locate yourself in, is a really compelling way to make a story. Now, had you come out and been, like, had you been born 20 years, 30 years earlier, and uh, had, you know, experience kind of um, ended up in that world, doing what you do in, in the Channel 9 world, mm. do you think you could have been friends with them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's part of me that really obviously admires them as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, at, at, at some level, there is an in, incredible intuition and instinct uh, for creating entertainment, for knowing what the uh, populace wanted to see um, and uh, Kerry's instincts for that are just uh, incredible so the everymanness of it all yeah I mean- he's famous for sort of being able to boast that he knew the price of chops out in Parramatta and things like that but I think in the way that he led Cleo and and with Ida Buttrose and also the way that um, he reshaped Channel 9 he certainly knew how about popular storytelling do you think they had a positive effect on on Australian democracy in, in, in their full Australian media kind of monopoly era? The, no, because I think they had an outweighted influence over yeah. politics. I think that they... Uh, so you think, think of Sir Frank having prime ministers in his pocket throughout all of his uh, reign, uh, and Kerry's very similar. I mean, politicians um, you know, deferred to them and were frightened by them, and I think that outweighted influence is, is very problematic. And, and I think there are very real questions about the process that led to the Barangaroo Casino as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and those questions are going to be examined uh, soon in a public inquiry. But it's worth asking uh, whether public approval processes that were, were they um, hastened, were they skipped, you know, all of those things that we're going to be looking at now are, are very real questions. So everything leads back to them, I suppose. You, you could argue the lockout laws in Sydney, you could argue the kind of gambling culture of Australia right now, you could argue, I guess, the state of Australian sport. Well, there's a there's a huge a huge influence by the family. I mean, I think that um, the, their, their move towards gaming was recognising a, a trend probably that was already happening mm-hmm. um, in yeah. Australia and was smart business. You know, looking at it, I, I think it's kind of a pity that the business went from media, uh, television, something that is a you know, at the heart of society and probably a, a good thing for society to then moving into gaming, which, um, you know, is, is uh, I think, pretty much of an ill on, um, on our society. Just quickly before we go, um, I just want to take it back to your process when you write mm. stories. Once you had all the information together, you know, do you start with a plan and you go back through and you say, all right, this is how the story is going to go and then you write it? Or do you just kind of get it started, then kind of wade a bit through of it both. and hope you get to the end? A bit of both. And then you, you replan uh, at every draft as well. And then we looked, even just in rehearsals, we look at every scene and say, so what, what is this bit doing to contribute to the story and why is it there? Particularly with a research-based play. 
you know, there's no point just 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 conveying yeah. research to an audience. You've got to ask what are the characters doing to each other to get what they want, and and what is the the, the more deeply felt um, emotional part of this story, rather than otherwise you just write newspaper articles about yeah. one tell or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Can you just can you quickly tell us because there was a pivot? Um, you've kind of spoken about the influence and and the new level that Kerry Packer uh, took this dynasty to, and like you know the you know changed Australian media and 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 many facets of it. What happened with Sir Frank and Clyde, the oldest, the, the heir apparent, the falling out? Yeah. Well, you have to see the play. Yeah. Um, so we, we uh, you know, my understanding is that after years of sort of brutal fathering Clyde couldn't have it anymore and he threatened to leave and then did sort of resign but I believe that he did that to demonstrate himself essential uh, and that ploy did not work because in the meantime Kerry you know showed himself to be resourceful and and to be a the the real leader and uh, and Clyde never got his uh, foot back in the door there is some some of it is contentious that history i spoke to people who differ on what clyde's reasons were for doing that and whether there was a um uh, a peace a truce between sir frank and clyde on his deathbed and in our take on the story we do um state that that they did make it up uh, make up uh, but it was too late and uh, and kerry was destined to become um, australia's richest person well, we uh, we look forward to seeing it uh, ourselves. Um, we'll, we'll be down in Sydney doing a bit of a uh, bit of a run around in the next couple of weeks. Thank so you. we'll, uh, oh, we'll have and to look, pop so in. So that I don't get sued, I should say that the um, play doesn't cover any of the stuff about Barangaroo. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, when when does it end? In timeline wise, what, what? Well, I could be giving you away a little bit of a secret there, mm, but yeah. it it's. Um, Look, it spans about half a century. Okay. okay? Yep. So it doesn't go into any of James's recent okay. uh, yep. difficulties. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it sort of ends at the turn of the century. It would have been tough to find a Mariah. There's no Mariah in this play. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Tommy Murphy. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.